This is an Area Code podcast. The story that awaits you has not been fully told. In fact, its conclusion is not yet known, even to myself. It is in that way that my book is special. It is in that way that you are special. Without you, there is no story. I felt welcomed into Beacon Pines. The setting of the game itself is an idyllic town where pretty much everyone, mostly, seems to know and love one another. Their relationships, hopes, and dreams are are fundamentally relatable. A grandma just wants to take care of her grandchild. A small business owner struggles to make ends meet. Childhood friends clumsily navigate trivial but meaningful disagreements. But I think what most made me feel welcomed into that experience was the warm, caring approach that the game takes with its relatively sparse intentional mechanics. Primarily centered around making choices, the game's mechanics are as inviting as they are unconvoluted. And this is all supported by writing, music, and an art style that seems explicitly crafted to please the player and set them at ease. Of course, this sets us up perfectly for when we stumble onto something a little more sinister than childhood arguments and mundane bouts of boredom. Our characters stumble onto things that are beyond their understanding and, and our control. And at that point, um, they're in the, over their heads more than they ever really wanted to be, as much as they craved the adventure of the whole thing. They and we are left to figure out exactly what to do about that. For this episode, I spoke to Matt Meyer, the creative director for Beacon Pines. I think there's a lot to learn from Beacon Pines about how we can process and eventually learn from our childhood, rather than simply bury it and move on from it. But first, of course, I had to ask him this question. What video game have you been playing lately, and how has that game made you feel? Um, In terms of a game that has made me feel recently, I have been poking around with a lot of indie games since finishing Beacon Pines. I've finally had some time. It was great because I hadn't played a game in years uh, during the development of it. But a lot of indie games... <laughs> I get that a lot from developers. That's like yeah. a thing, apparently. You just don't play games while you're making them. I'd wanted to play Kentucky Route Zero for years and just started playing that nice. with my girlfriend. And that game is just oozes with vibe and feeling. So that's the one that stands mm-hmm. out when you ask the question, is, is Kentucky Route Zero? We haven't finished it yet, but we're maybe two hours in. And it's... Yeah, it's... I wouldn't expect myself to like that game so much but it's because it's very slow and like deliberate and it knows what it is and doesn't try to be more than that but i think i just appreciate yep. i do like games that have such a concise vibe to them yeah that is my favorite game i think of all time oh cool um, <laughs> when that game came out i was like all in on that game from the very beginning and so i got to play it like over the years <laughs> As it was yeah, released, yeah, yeah. Uh, as the episodes were released, which uh-huh. was wild because, like, I played that game through recession, through COVID, <laughs> like, yeah, it was everything yeah. happened through Trump, all of that. And it always felt up to date and timely uh-huh. as I was playing it. It's, it feels like it is speaking to the specific moment I was playing it. I think that's just timelessness, actually, but it feels 
very relevant. Right. And so what's the specific way it made you feel when you were playing it? Oh, that's a good question. It's the kind of thing where I'm when I think about like feeling stuff. I usually don't analyze it. I just enjoy the feeling of it at the time. Mm-hmm. So actually thinking about what was the feeling. It's yeah. got a bit of an eeriness to it. That's what this podcast is for, is analyzing yeah, yeah, those yeah. feelings. Um, yeah, I think it's eerie, which, like, not in a bad way, but in, like, I don't know, I like feeling eerie sometimes. It's, like, slightly uncomfortable, but also just, yeah, like, a little gloomy, but, like, I'm trying not to use, like, if they have sort of negative tones to them, these words, but I don't mean them in a negative way at all. I guess what I'm getting at is, like, the characters, even though... A lot of it is just visual and the direction of the game with the cameras and everything, how they move. You get a sense of the characters themselves feeling things, just in the ways that they walk around and yeah. interact with each other. Yeah, I think like the unsettling thing is really interesting because it's ref- it's like there's two ways in which it's unsettling. One is like surrealist, right? It's just mm-hmm. like it's a game where there are surreal things happen. Right happening that don't feel they feel off from reality and that resonates in certain ways and then there there are things that are just pure off from the moral or like justice vantage Uh point where it's just depressing (laughs) you know what i mean like in a really good like in a in a way that feels like like there are games that are depressing that are just like bumming me out but that's a game that very much made me feel like you have articulated the way I feel uh-huh. in particular, this idea of rest in that game, you know, the way that the game handles like thriving and being exhausted in a way that's not just, I work too hard, mm-hmm. you know, it's like something deeper than that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, those are aspects like the surrealism and the morally and justice wise off thing are things you also see in beacon pines. I think, you know, yeah. yeah. And I guess that's, yeah. It feels like you resonate with something. That. It's, there's a reason that it, that game resonated with me because I think probably in similar ways to to them with how I want to emote in the game. It probably, I haven't heard them yeah. do any interviews, at least maybe not since the game was originally coming out, but I've got to think we probably have some similar influences. I said we like Beacon Pines and Kentucky Route Zero in terms of uh-huh. influences. What are but, those yeah. influences for you? So we we liked to say early in the development of Beacon Pines, or when we started talking about it with people, that it was like a cross between Winnie the Pooh and Twin Peaks. So Kentucky Rod's Zero, not as much with the Winnie the Pooh part, but like you were saying, there's some surreal stuff and there's eeriness, like I was saying, Gosh. which both have a very Twin Peaks feel to them. So I don't know if that was an influence of theirs, but it, it was for us. It was fun yeah. for us to try and think of what that means, like these adorable characters in these really spooky eerie dark uh situations yeah the winnie the pooh thing is funny i would never have thought of that but it makes total sense and actually makes me love the game a little bit more (laughs) um when you made this game and when you were working on it what were you hoping that people would feel when they played this game that's sort of adapted throughout the whole time developing the game like we made it over like five years so your thoughts on on the game and what you want to do with it change over that time and I, I always just generally want some feeling in the games I make. So I don't want people to walk away from it feeling empty or like they just wasted time. Mm. Um, so even if it's a short game, I want them to f- still have it stick with them afterwards. So then maybe it doesn't. It's like you can think of it as a six hour game. But if it sticks with you, yeah. then it's 
more than a six hour experience. Like you're still thinking about right. it maybe afterwards. So by the end of the game, I just, I think this was more me projecting onto the game, my own desire, but I wanted people like after the epilogue to feel at peace. Uh-huh. And I think that was more partly me being so completely stressed out and overwhelmed by finishing the game because it was so much work. So I wanted everyone else to feel at peace because that's what I wanted to myself. Yeah. But also along the way, it was, um, like I mentioned, we like mystery a lot. So the feeling of just mystery and curiosity, um, since you are these young children in very serious situations, we wanted to make sure that feeling was at the forefront as well throughout. The feeling of curiosity? Yeah, curiosity and just the mystery of everything that's going on. Yeah. The point you made about you wanted people to feel at peace is really interesting, especially as like a projection, right? Like you're wanting to feel it yourself and you're sort of projecting onto Uh other people that they might want to feel it after playing this game. It makes me wonder how often game developers do that. You know what I mean? And especially like in the, actually that remark reminds me of a conversation I had with James Silva who made like the dishwasher games, dishwasher samurai and some other games. And his games are notable for being particularly difficult. And when I talked to him, the most interesting thing about that conversation is he basically said like, look, the reason these games are so difficult is because I make these games and they're super easy for me by virtue of me making them. And so I make them harder to make them more interesting to me. Which is a Uh a real, it's like an anti-focus group approach. It does not really (laughs) make sense from like a marketer's perspective or something like, but that's a specific, unique situation for you. And I'm curious if you think, I mean, maybe I'm answer this for you. (laughs) I needed that epilogue, right? I needed that epilogue because I like the hard break at the end right before that is pretty rough. I think for whatever reason, Mm. I don't actually remember it. Um, but I remember thinking this needs, I hope something happens after this because wow. And the epilogue is so nice. The, just the way it all comes together. Did you feel like it was really something people needed or was it something that was just more for you? It was both like the game. Definitely. We all felt was leading up to that point. So you did go through all these different story branches that are sort of alternate universes of the same starting point of the game. Yeah. Things have been set in motion and you're exploring what that means to all the different characters in these different branches. And they all give you insight into each other. Like one branch might reveal something that you didn't know about another branch. So by the end of the game, even though all these branches have splintered off into very different storylines, we wanted it to all come together into something that made sense for what you've seen for every character. What's happened to them, What you might have seen them learn something about themselves in one branch... And so you have the sense of, like, this character may not, All these things didn't happen to the characters in maybe this one branch that leads to the epilogue, but you know yeah. how that character lives through the, those sort of trials then. So you have a sense of who they are and how they deal with things. And so by the end, yeah. we wanted to tie all that together into the sense of, like, how do all these character arcs, how would they resolve based on what you've seen in all the different branches? And we try to put that for the most part, into a nicely tied package, there are some things, like I said, that a lot of the game is about mystery. So there's some things that we didn't want to be explicit about ever in the game, Mm. especially not at the end, because in some ways, that's also what the game is about, is uncertainty. Like, you can't expect to know everything in life, and not everything is going to work out perfectly. So we didn't 
we felt it would be an injustice to the game for everything to be wind up perfect, even though some some of our fans would rather everything be perfect at the end. But that just didn't feel right to us. But we did our best to make it. Yeah. Like I said, I wanted it to feel like even if everything wasn't perfect, the characters had made peace with it. And so it feels like you can be at peace as the player because the world itself of Beacon Pines is at peace. if there are other games you had played before that do this well or didn't do this not as a value judgment but like are there games that left you without peace at the end that you sort of learned from um and said i, I want to do that differently or are there games that did that particularly well i probably think more about films than other games like i said i didn't mm. really play many games in the last five years developing beacon pines <laughs> but I think everyone has in their head like certain films that have ended with a whimper and other ones that have ended in a really satisfying way. Yeah. And I kind of go both ways with it. Like sometimes I'm trying to remember, I feel like after I watched The Lobster, it, I was very like ambivalent but happy about it. <laughs> like I don't totally feel satisfied, but I'm glad. Like I don't want to feel totally satisfied at the end of that film. Um, yeah. So that's, I guess, where my head was at with it. But then there's other, like I watched this probably almost when Beacon Pines was done being developed, but they, the everything everywhere all at once, how they ended it is just so brilliant. There's like complete joyous moments, but there is also still some like unease to it. So yeah, I kind of like that mix of those two feelings. Yeah. It definitely feels also like a bit of an influence in this game. I don't know if it is, but like, I don't know, maybe this is just culturally, this is in the air where, I mean, certainly like multiple timelines, which is like a game thing. In a way, it's like a video game thing. Video games and comic books are like, welcome to the party <laughs> a little bit uh-huh. to, to film, right? Like, this is not new to us. But the conscious embracing of multiple timelines, and then there is that sort of way it all resolves with this family drama approach. And it's kind of interesting. Speaking of alternate timelines, so this game was like, originally, I mean, from what I've read, this game used to be a rhythm game, <laughs> which is like... A mind-blowing fact. Uh Um, Was it just that the mechanic wasn't working out, or was this something where you were like, the feel we are trying to convey is not matching up with the mechanic? I'm interested in that idea, because like, I'm interested in whether or not the mechanics and the feeling you were trying to convey were like incompatible or something. No, it was more of the former. Well, I guess, yeah, it's the mechanics that weren't quite clicking with that. The feeling stuff is just something I always have in my head throughout. And like I said, with Beacon Pines, it, it's evolved a lot over the last five years. And obviously, yeah, yeah, pivoting from it being a rhythm game will definitely change the direction and what you're, what feelings you're trying to evoke. Uh, sure. <laughs> but yeah. then, yeah, it, it started off a little more deliberate with trying to think about the game mechanics. And when I was prototyping that out for a good, like, I don't know, four to six months, maybe this rhythm sort of RPG game. Ilsa was mm-hmm. making all these characters, and it was a much more sort of fantasy theme for the game. Luca was still there, and his, his grandma was still there, but they mm-hmm. had, like, this fantasy outfits on and stuff. So at the time, that felt like a natural fit for a rhythm RPG game, is to have these fantasy anthropomorphic characters. When the mechanics didn't quite 
click, we still had like these really amazing looking characters that had a lot of personality to them. So we thought, let's see what we can do with that. And we'd already had like a couple of, she had done a couple of concept art pieces for how you might navigate the world, like between these RPG battles in the rhythm game. And that sort of wound up being the little, we call them ramas, like diorama, the little dioramas that you go between through throughout Beacon Pines. Uh-huh. And that's also where it ties into the Winnie the Pooh thing. We leaned into this idea of it looking like a page out of a illustrated storybook. So if you look at Winnie the Pooh, a lot of times you do have those sort of faded edges uh, that makes it feel like yep. a world within the page. And we lean in even more to that when you zoom in and out of these worlds on the page in the book in Beacon Pines. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, I'm sort of word vomiting now, but it was, it was sort of just a whole evolution of the game played into what the feelings at any given point we thought we should be um, pushing for were. Yeah. I mean, what's fascinating to me is you go from rhythm game to like, I mean, <laughs> this is um, not a subtle way of putting this, but like you kind of strip out most mechanics <laughs> from the uh-huh. game in some ways. Like it's a game that has very few like gamey mechanics. Really the only like mechanic that's unique to this game is the choice mechanism and the collecting choices is really interesting. It's a really fascinating uh-huh. approach to that. And it speaks to something in terms of like growth and maturity, which I find really interesting. Like as you grow and try things and fail, you realize there are other ways to approach different circumstances, which is cool. But I'm curious if you ever thought like, whoa, we need some mechanics in here. Or if you started to like feel, to use this word again, at peace with sort of a game that feels more narrative than anything. It was definitely scary when I pulled the trigger on chopping the whole rhythm game part of it. Because that was in my head when I was prototyping my next project. It was like, I need something that's going to hook people. Like, you need something that yeah. grabs people's attention, something to differentiate from the thousands of other games that are out there. So this rhythm game thing was interesting. It was new. But the problem with doing some, trying to find something that's not been done before is there might be a good reason it's not been done before. So after <laughs> hitting my head against that wall for a while, I gave up on it. It could have still been something if I kept going at it, but the things that were clicking were like these characters and going around the world and interacting and talking with other characters that already felt good. So why not just focus on that part? But after throwing away the gamiest part of it, which was the rhythm RPG battles, I did feel like we need something else to fill the gap of differentiating this game. Like you said, if we're not doing these interesting choice mechanics, then it's kind of just a a, your typical visual novel at that point. So I don't know if, how the idea really came, I think I was just thinking about, like, what if you found words that changed it? And then an obvious touch point for that is, like, Mad Libs. So there was a long period where we were playing around with a lot more decisions that you would have. You would find a lot more charms. At the time, there were actually cards, which is a whole other story. It was a lot of baggage in the words being on cards, because that also makes people think of, like, card games, which it was very much not. So we changed it to be just words on charms because it just is a more fitting metaphor for how you play the words in the game. But there was going to be like all these, like every conversation would have a charm player too. But that also, I don't know, it just didn't click as much. Like we played around a lot Mm -hmm. with like what that would mean, how that would affect the story. The problem with having a bunch of choices is they can't be as meaningful yeah. Unless you have thousands of people to help you work on the game, you can't spend uh-huh. the same amount of time on 
a bunch of choices as you would like we did on Beacon Pines, just a handful, like I think there's like 12, maybe 13 turning points and they all completely mm-hmm. changed the story. So we felt that was yeah, a mean, little more even, interesting. Even if you had like unlimited resources and you could pull off like really building out every choice, once you get to a certain like number of choices, it just starts to not feel pivotal anymore right Mm -hmm. like those moments in this i think one of the strengths of this game is like every time you make one of those choices it feels like a big deal (laughs) you know what i mean right it feels like it really matters um which is interesting yeah that's a good point yeah and it's counteracted by the mad lips thing because there are moments where you know you just have to say shit you know what i mean you have the option to say shit i'm gonna Uh say shit you know what i mean it's just funny like the ways that's played with a little bit yeah there's also just if you're talking about alternate universes and what storylines are going to evolve out of a choice that the player makes, then there's only so much possibility space that actually fits with who the characters are and what the world is. Like, you can't have one character be have one personality and based on a choice just become murderous or something. There, it needs to be justified. So even though there's like an infinite number of ways you can spin a story, it only makes sense to take certain routes. Um, so that's what we played around a lot with was like what is the most meaningful way to do interesting things with each character based on the choices yeah that's cool so this is a pretty narrative heavy game what triggered the idea for this narrative where does that come from uh again it was just very it was a a lot of evolution and a lot of feedback loop between the art and the music and the writing we did a lot of brainstorming ilsa myself and brent about what sort of plot points we might want and where the starting point is with this world and what interesting mysteries might be involved. And yeah, it's just, it was very piecemeal, like going through it all for the first like year of development. It was a lot of just talking about all the different ways that we could write the story and focusing in on Mm -hmm. things that started to click together in pieces that felt good based on the characters. And then at some point, it got too complicated to just wing it, um, do things as, like improv worked up until a certain point with the story. But then we yeah. had to actually start diagramming things out and like planning how it might all tie together, what happens in different branches and how that affects other branches, because that was just too much to keep in our heads and talk about more freeform. So we have mm-hmm. all these big diagrams of like character relationships and how the story branches and where you find charms and where they're used because that is also very mm. it affects the story a lot depending on where you can play a charm and where you find it how you might navigate yeah. through the tree there's different ways you can go a lot of people think it's a linear story even though it feels like a branching story it's linear but there's a lot of different ways you can actually progress through the tree people don't really think yeah. about it because one fault of the game is it does sometimes feel like you're being hemmed into making a certain choice but the reality is the uh. choices are just as much about where you go in the tree at any given point, uh, just as much uh. as what charm you play at any point. So throughout the game, you might actually bring up, if you come to a dead end, you could bring up the Chronicle, and you might have three different branches that you can pre- proceed down. If you go to that branch, maybe you don't have much of a charm choice, but it was a choice which branch you see in what order. So that was one right. of the things that was really complicated about writing the game and making it coherent is actually making sure if a player chooses to go down this branch, do they have their bearings at all? Like, does any of this make sense? Yeah. Like, if they're seeing this character yeah. do this thing, they might need knowledge from another branch. So we need to at least make sure they have enough information for it to make sense. 
Yeah. I think one of the things that I really want to figure out or ask about is like, so this is a story that feels to me very personal. Like I wrote down a bunch of themes that are covered in this narrative and there's a lot there. You could say it's about fill in the blank, a lot of things. And actually the game does that. The game literally says this game is about fill in the blank. And one of the (laughs) things that's called out is um, change. But like I thought of, like I wrote down things like resistance, childhood, friendship, unforeseen consequences, maturity, coming of age. Uh It's about all of these things. That's a lot. Fundamentally, it is about childhood. Hard to argue with that. And I'm curious, like, how much of this reflects your own childhood? How much are you working out your own childhood in this narrative? Um, Yeah, it's definitely very personal to all three of us. And we all have different aspects of our own childhoods that we put into the game. Yeah, I would say there's not much of the game that isn't personal for all of us or any one of us. Mm. And so, yeah, it it was a lot of thinking about what the main themes are. Like you said, you listed several of them. Yeah, just the feeling of childhood is one of them early on that we knew we should focus on because everyone's been a child, at least if they're old enough, hopefully, to play the game. They've lived through most of the experiences that the characters in the game might have or not lived through them, but at least felt the way it feels to be a child in some of these situations. So we like to think about that pillar a lot when we're designing all the little things that the characters can do, running through dandelions and sliding off chair, a chair that's too big for you, and all these little touches <laughs> went into the sense of it being childlike. But then we are adults, uh-huh. so we also have things in our, not just past, but our current lives and recent histories that we wanted to put into the game. And that's where, yeah, some of the maybe darker themes and other parts of the game come in in a personal way for us. So... Yeah, it's personal on almost every level. Just obviously when you're a three-person team, it it almost has to be because you're putting your life into this thing. And again, that's one of the Mm -hmm. benefits of being such a small team is maybe if you're at a AAA studio with thousands of people, you you don't feel as much like it's your thing. It's just more of a committee uh, making all the decisions. But I don't know if I answered your question. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm, I'm really trying to get at like, well, I mean, I can ask specific questions in a minute, but like, one of the things that's really striking to me about this game is there is a tension like, so I I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and I think a lot about like what childhood is supposed to feel like or supposed to be. And one of the things that they say is you really should let them be children and be protected from a lot of what is happening in this game, frankly, right? Like, like really the ideal childhood is growing up and being oblivious mm-hmm. somewhat some of this stuff. Now I'm someone who's very real with my kids. My seven year old knows all about the political (laughs) stuff that's going on. He knows all about COVID, but he also knows he doesn't have to be responsible for that. Right. These kids are not that these kids are fully responsible. They are the most responsible Uh for everything that's happening in this town and there's no deliberation about it there's not a tension in this game about whether they should be responsible maybe a little bit but like it's not substantial enough to like be prevalent and i'm curious where that comes from is that just like a result of how the narrative has to be or is that something you experienced growing up uh i certainly did and i think i don't know ilsa's past enough but i I know brent also growing up had to deal with some heavy things Mm. and so It's definitely something we pulled from our own past, but it's also something that the game does. We try to do a lot of exposition quickly early on because 
one of the things we feared is that people would dismiss the game too early because it looks childlike and they might think it's it's not a serious enough game for them or it's a game for kids, which if kids enjoy it, great, but we think of it as an adult game because we're adults and we're making a game more or less for ourselves. Yeah. And so the exposition happens pretty hard and fast early in the game intentionally. And one of the things that we sort of present to the player is that some of the things have been going on for a while, and it's almost for the characters to the point of, and the whole town, the town is a character too, but the main characters have gotten to the point of no one else is dealing with this. So maybe they were trying to be kids for a while, and it got to the point where now things are only getting worse. So I guess we're going to have to try and do something about it. Yeah. What... um and you don't have to answer this, but like what from your childhood does that reflect? Like what was your version of that? Well, yeah, not to get too in-depth and personal, but for myself, I had um, I had some bullying in my childhood. And so that's where some of the bullying aspects of it come in. I didn't have any like mm. crazy, mysterious goos in my childhood. <laughs> Obviously, there's some just some parts of the game that are just fantastical and sci-fi, which again, we yeah. were big fans of sci-fi. So we wanted to inject it with a lot of interesting sci-fi mystery. And yeah, I, I won't get into Brett's side of things too, but we definitely pulled all that stuff from personal experience. So, I mean, the goo is like a nice stand-in for whatever, and it works really well. Like the idea that it's town-wide and not worldwide, that it's not global, but it's also not family. It means you can kind of map it onto either side, which makes it very relatable to almost anyone. For me, when I was playing, I was thinking of Atticus, and that's my son, sorry, Atticus, my seven-year-old, and how he might think about the political climate, the world, the climate, (laughs) the climate, climate. Those things are things that he's going to, at some point, have to take into his own hands. And... He even is more concerned than I am about saving water. Like, he yells at me if I run the shower (laughs) water too soon. (laughs) And I'm like, you're being ridiculous. And he's not. He's being genuine. He just doesn't understand, like, that we're also up against systemic problems that are impossible to solve. And that's sort of where I'm, you know, whatever. But it also allows for the highly familial issues, right? And that's mapped in. Too, like the things that we grow up and you would imagine, you know, I think, you know, all of us had some version of this growing up where your family has things that are not being handled in the way you would want them to. And you just kind of have to navigate them in whatever way, you know. Uh Yeah. Like you said, kids are very innocent and they don't necessarily think critically about every everything that's going on around them, but they definitely are a part of it and feeling it and trying to figure it out for themselves. Yeah, totally. I want to talk about the game being released. How did you feel it was going to be received? And then how does that compare to how it was received? And how did that feel? I mean, feel? When, you're, when you spend five years on a thing, you obviously hope it's going to make it worthwhile. Uh-huh. And so I would go day to day from like thinking, like, this is really good. I'm really happy with what we made. To like, what if no one likes it? It was just this constant back and forth between thinking like, we did something really special and, oh my God, what have we done? We've wasted five years. (laughs) It's really rough because, like I said, there's so many games out there and you hope it stands out. And I'm sure I speak for most indies when I say like, you just put everything into it. Like this was, 
I honestly don't yeah. even like thinking about finishing the game because it was so traumatizing. Like I put myself through mm-hmm. hell finishing it, and I hope I never do that again. I hope I can learn that lesson on the next game. Um, what does that look like? Like, is that a lot of work? Is that all? Is it just you work too hard, or is there something deeper there that you? There's definitely some deep psychological reasons that I put myself through that. I don't. I probably need to work that out with a therapist. But yeah, it was like the last many months, like probably three or four months of making the game, was like 120 hour weeks for several months straight. You mm. wake up, you work on the game, you try and find time to eat, you go to sleep. You wake up, you work on the game, try and find time to eat, you go to sleep. On repeat for Mm -hmm. several months. And by the end of that, you just break down. And if the game's not done, you just have to push through that breakdown. So yeah, like I said, I don't like to talk about it because I really did traumatize myself. um, And I hope I've learned that lesson and don't do it again. But I'm already like a workaholic. So when I've put five years into a thing and it is like my livelihood, you feel obligated to like continue to like i need to see this thing through in the best way i can and the only way i know how to do that is to work myself to the bone and so the week it releases you how do you let go of that like how do you uh, well so having a fellow traveler as a publisher we did at least have there was like a window between the game being done and being released of like a month or two or like a yeah. month and a half where i got to try and relax a bit but obviously there's still the looming release so i got to stress about the game in a different way which was like okay it's done the work is done now i just need to wait and see what happens for like a month and a half it's kind of out of your hands now yeah yeah and when it was released it was yeah obviously a whole mix of emotions and it did wind up sort of landing where fellow traveler thought it was you know we're not gonna retire off of it but it's also pretty much paid for itself so yeah that's huge yeah so it feels good and the reviews have been great like it's the mm-hmm. Steam reviews are amazing, and the reviews mm. from like Metacritic are really good too. So that part of it is nice to see, even though like that's the Metacritic stuff isn't as important as like it's really nice to see all the individual people saying that they love it on like Steam and Xbox and stuff. Like those can yeah. be fun to go through, and try very hard not to focus on like the handful of negative the ones one because there's hundreds and hundreds of really glowing, wonderful reviews, and then you see like one negative one, and you're like. Oh, that's ruined my day. That just ruined my day. Yeah, right. <laughs> I get it. It's not. It's no game's gonna be for everyone. It's like I can understand it, but I. It still hurts. <laughs> yeah. Did you get a sense of like how was this making people feel? Like you had ideas of what you wanted it to make people feel, but like what surprised you about how it was making people feel? So yeah, one thing you do um, after a game is released is just sit there watching Twitch all day, every day. It's um, it's a <laughs> really so funny. Yeah, it's a really cool way to get genuine reactions from people because, like, if you ever bring a game to like friends, you're not gonna get a genuine reaction. If you show it to people in public, even they know you're the creator and you're standing right over their shoulder. Even when, like, before COVID, when I would show games to people, um, I try very hard to like act like I'm slinking off, but still sort of like <laughs> see how they're reacting <laughs> to it over their shoulder. But with streams, yeah. you get. I would try not to say that I was there. I would just lurk and see the reactions, and it was awesome. It was so fun. Like people, you know, throughout the early parts of the game, really did get that sense of childlike joy. Like you could feel it, and 
there are a bunch of streams that I was watching where people would start breaking out in tears or, you know, get all emotional at the parts where we were hoping it where we were hoping it would. And those points where you take big swings developing a game, like we're hoping this gets people emotional and has them feeling the way we want it to, but you never know if it actually will. <laughs> so seeing seeing that it actually did affect people and sort of pull at their heartstrings sometimes would get me like emotional just watching it. And I'm like, because it's like the culmination of like, it is proof that we didn't totally whiff the game. We connected with yeah. people. You didn't. I mean, it definitely, I had moments of, tearing up. I mean, I lost my dad when I was in 2012, right before I went to GDC. And yeah, that the moment toward the end, I'll just say the moment related to that toward the end uh-huh. is a very touching moment. And the resolution around that stuff is really good. Like grappling with even like he's a child, he's grappling with his childhood in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Like he's a child looking back <laughs> and sort of processing things. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting So um, the question we always ask toward the end of the podcast is what we do is we spin the feelings wheel and the feelings wheel is a collection of, I think, 82 different emotions or feelings and whatever one it lands on, I'd like you to tell me a game or if you haven't played a game in five years, uh, that's fine. So you can say a movie, I guess, if you want, that has made you feel disrespected. Disrespected? Who? That's what popped up on this wheel. (laughs) So, oh boy, I'm. It could be in a good way or a bad way, right? Yeah, I was just talking to a friend the other day about how I'm not a big fan of pop music, and I think the reason why is because I feel disrespected by it. Um, Interesting. If like the lyrics in music are like really banal, I feel like yeah, like you're treating your audience like children, like uh, like when there's like all these just like keywords that sound like they would go in a pop song and you're just rattling off all like (laughs) all these words that feel like a teenager would like want to sing them sing along with them yeah Yeah. i hate to like yeah if people like pop music i hate to say that you shouldn't but i'm I'm just trying to answer the question so like (laughs) i totally relate i will say i like a lot of recent pop music i think there's been like a little bit of a renaissance of like artistry in pop lately for whatever reason but like the 90s early 2000s was pretty bad in Uh that respect like backstreet boys type stuff (laughs) yeah yeah and i wish i wish i was more like I'm not great about like finding new music. There probably is a lot of good stuff that I'm missing out on because of yeah. that. But um, yeah, that that's the, the first thing that came to mind when you asked about something making me feel disrespected. All right. Last question is with that reception in mind that we talked about, how will that change your approach to making games in the future? Yeah, there there's an interesting thing with Beacon Pines where I, like I said, it was a sort of traumatic experience finishing it. But then getting to see the reactions from people was really wonderful. So at the same time, it makes me not want to do something similar, but also want to at least take those parts that made Beacon Bind special and carry those on to the next project. What parts are those? Well, the things that are like personal that this is a perfect podcast for, like make people feel things. Like I don't like the idea of someone playing the game and just feeling empty afterwards so I want them to at least feel something it may feel like a simple idea to make a game that's meant to make you feel something 
But I actually think that Matt's singular focus on that goal is what makes Beacon Pines not just a welcoming experience, but for me, a bit of a healing one. I've done a lot in my youth that I regret. I've had experiences that really hurt me, and I'm not so sure I've fully accessed those things yet. Even those things that have become stories I tell over and over have maybe started to define me a little bit too much. I feel like sometimes my failures become my identity. So it was nice to play a game that suggested maybe those failures aren't life-defining after all. Beacon Pines isn't therapy, but it's a safe place to explore questions I hadn't considered since childhood, to explore the failures and struggle in my youth, and maybe, eventually, to forgive myself for them. The music and sound you heard on this podcast is from Beacon Pines. You can check out the original Beacon Pines soundtrack by Matt Meyer on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your music. If this show is connecting with you and you think it might connect with someone else, let them know. Uh, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes and all those other places always helps, of course, but you can also just uh, tell a friend. Uh, tell someone who might be interested. Um, we also have uh, a presence on Twitter for as long as that exists. It's at vidgamefeelings. It's at vidgamefeelings. And we are also at Instagram under the name at videogamefeelings. Videogamefeelings is an Area Code Audio production. For more information about Area Code Audio, check out areacodeaudio.com. It is created, written, and hosted by me, Richard Clark, produced by Nettie Smith. Theme music by Bruce Holtman, art by Brenna Kammerer, and the useful group design team. This is an Area Code podcast.